What is happening, guys? Welcome to the Monday Morning Blues. I'm your host, Christian Hansen. If you're new to the show, welcome and thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and you can listen to the show wherever you listen to your podcast. You can listen to mine, the Monday Morning Blues. Be sure to check out our website as well. It's simple, www. TheMondayMorningBlues.com. It doesn't get any easier than that. There you could sign up for our emails so you'll be notified on all the updated posts that we put on there. And I'd like to tell you a little bit more about this new thing I have called the Blues Review. It's real simple and awesome as well. So what I'll do is this. Uh, each week I'll be listening to music on uh, Apple's Blues Radio. And there I find new music that I haven't heard before. And what I'll do is I'll put up my top five uh, picks of the week that I've uh, found a liking to on Apple's Blues Radio. I'll put them up on my site. Hopefully you like them. If you do, suggest it. Pass it on. I'd like to call it a Get a suggestion, give a suggestion. Spread the blues, keep the music alive and well, because we all know we need to do so. Today's guest is Joel Bear, an accomplished drummer, a friend of mine, uh, and very humble and fortunate to have him on today. Uh, Joel, I'd like to call Joel the Kenny Arnoff of the Midwest. Uh, very credentialed and decorated uh, drummer indeed, from jazz to rock to blues to garage rock even. Uh, he's touched all genres, and uh, I'm very blessed to call him a friend. So, without further ado, my interview with Joel Bear. Enjoy. Joel Bear. Joel, how have you been lately, man? Man, I'm great. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, I mean, this is this is this is really great. Like I was telling Corey the other night, I just love, love, uh, love speaking to the people who make me happy with with what they do with music. Um, and I think this is a perfect time to do something like that when things I love to do, I do, which is go see live music, blues and jazz. I, I can't do it. So, what else to do? You know, I start a podcast. I could talk to these people. So that's kind of why I'm doing it. I'm happy I'm doing it. And I'm uh, having fun for sure. Um, you personally, I mean, you, you, I would, I would say you're kind of like a the Chicago Lands Kenny Arnoff. You're just kind of you're you're the you're a madman when it comes to drumming. Yeah, I mean, you're with everybody. How has this been for you these past few weeks with literally nothing to do? You've got to be going crazy. Yeah, well, you know, it's tough for a couple of reasons. I mean, obviously, first. You know, financially, there's no money coming in from gigging, which is tough for all kinds of musicians, but also just the ability not to not to be able to collaborate with people in the same room. So not only can we not perform, but, you know, we can't really rehearse that much or I mean, it's possible to to, to do songwriting sessions or, or um you know, talk through songs via, you know, Skype or, or Zoom or whatever, but you can't, can't really be in the same room as people right now. And that's really tough too. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting experience for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't understand how, how honestly people are, are, are doing this. It's, it's gotta be crazy. I mean, every night you're pounding the pavement and now not to have anything to do. But, uh, I mean, it's times like these though that, uh, that test you. Have you, have you been, you know, working on some new compositions, uh, during this period or have you 
utilize this opportunity to really just take a breather for once? Uh, well, both, yes to both of those things, actually. Um, you know, when, when this first started, I had some energy. And so I sat down at the piano and I started just writing some tunes. Uh, just, I don't know, kind of whatever was in my head. Occasionally I'll, I'll, when I have a melody in my head, I'll, I'll grab my phone and just kind of sing it into my voice memos. And so going back through those and actually figuring out, you know, how some of those melodies could be songs or tunes or whatever is fun. And so I sat down at the piano and I did that for a few tunes. And then, you know, when this kind of became clear that this was going to be more than just a couple of days off, I took some time for myself and decided to spend that time with my family as much as possible. Um, but you know, I still, still practicing, still listening a lot, honing my skills as much as possible during this downtime. Let's see. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I get it. Um, now you've got your most recent work, Joel. Uh, I was actually listening to it the other day. Uh, I believe it was Structures by you. Um, 2017, that was released. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about the uh, that album itself and a little bit about the concept behind it and kind of all the people who really came to make that album you know, come to fruition? Yeah, sure. Um, so... I had been playing at that time in the blues scene for quite a while. And, um, my background is as a jazz drummer and I just, I wasn't playing as much jazz as I would have liked. And, and I wanted to put something out that just kind of reflected my interests as far as, as drumming and, and that featured me, honestly. So, um, I had, I had put together some compositions and some arrangements of standards, for my, my graduate recital at DePaul. And so I dusted some of those off and I came up with a couple of new tunes and uh, I got a quartet together and I wanted it to be something that sounded a little bit more modern than, uh, than, than some of the quartets. So I decided the, the best way to do that for me was to include a guitar player. So the, the quartet is um, saxophones, Natalie Landy on saxophones, Kenny Thompson on guitar, Connor Rowe on electric bass and myself on drums. Um, and, and that album features some, some compositions of mine as well as some arrangements of, uh, Jackie McLean tune, a King Crimson tune, um, a couple of standards and a song from, um, a television series that I like called Cowboy Bebop. Interesting. Interesting. Now, when you for drums, um, you, it was from what I understand, it was 11 years old. Um, your, your dad, he was a drummer. Um, you kind of just picked it up just by, you know, was it just because you were surrounded by it? You're like, wow, maybe this is something I have to do. Or what was it that kind of really, you know, got you interested in it? Was it your father single handedly? You'd say it was. It was definitely my father. All that credit goes to Jeff Bear. Um, so I grew up in a family and, and my dad, I watched him play at church every week. And so that was sort of how I got introduced to the drums and, and to, to music in general, honestly. And, um, I remember one time my dad was giving a drum lesson to a group of kids and they were, they were older than I were. And he was showing them this beat and, and I asked if I could sit down and I could just play because I had heard him play it a bunch of times. That was when I was, was younger. And then, you know, the bug didn't really get me for a couple more years after that. I just, um, 
I just started getting into music when I was 11 or 12 and just started listening more. And then the listening wasn't enough. I wanted to play it. So, um, mm-hmm. I mean, the drums were available. I didn't have any other instruments in the house. And obviously my father played and I had seen him play and I just, I love the sound of the drums. So, um, I picked it up and my dad is kind of a, a sixties rock drummer. He showed me what he could, he could show me. And then, um, I started, um, mowing lawns and stuff to pay for drum lessons shortly after that. Mm. Interesting. Now, when it, when it came to, I always ask when it comes to jazz and blues in general, um, it's always an interesting thing to pick up at a young age. I feel like people, when, when they hear that you play, you know, jazz or blues, they like, look at you funny, like, Oh, why do you play that? Or like, you like that stuff. What was it for you? What really like garnered your interest at such a young age for the jazz and blues? What was it about those genres that really brought you in? I mean, you said your dad played with the church. Um, obviously that's not really jazz or blues. What was it about <laughs> the blues? Is there a singular moment that drew you in? Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what led up to that. Um, so my dad, as I said, he was really into 60s rock. He was into bands like the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And of course, he was one of the people of who saw Ringo play on Ed Sullivan. And that kind of oh, sparked wow. his interest in playing the drums. And then he got into bands like Cream and Vanilla Fudge and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. So those were the kinds of bands that he introduced me to. But he also introduced me to the Buddy Rich Big Band. And Mm. I had never seen anybody play drums like that before, you know, where the drums were a featured solo instrument. And so that left a big impression on me. And obviously I couldn't play like that, but, but it, I wanted to play like that. So my dad is definitely responsible for introducing me to jazz and big bands, even though he didn't, he didn't really play that kind of music. He enjoyed listening to it. And then as far as the blues goes, um, you know, he listened to a lot of bands that were influenced by the blues, like, you know, Yardbirds and Cream and, um, and the Allman Brothers, who he really loves. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of my first toe into that kind of music or, or understanding that that kind of music existed. And then, um, I was studying jazz, uh, as a teenager, but I was really into rock music. I was into, Especially in my in my later teens, I was really into progressive rock bands like King Crimson and Rush and, you know, stuff that was pretty drummy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was I was going to school and I got an offer to play with a guitar player named Pistol Pete. And Pistol Pete was my sort of first foray into playing the blues. He's not strictly a blues player, but he plays all the same kinds of grooves that blues plays, you know, shuffles and slow blues and all that kind of stuff. So playing with him was really my first entry into playing any kind of blues music. Mm. I mean, and then it was from, for Pistol Pete, obviously, then you kind of went back and forth with Corey and Jimmy. Um, the interesting thing about the Corey thing with you is I didn't actually know that, um, you and Aaron, um, who obviously is in Corey's band, you, him kind of, you guys connected earlier on in your careers back in 09, um, when you pushed out transit, um, it was you and, uh, another, uh, band. um, how did that kind of come to fruition? And then you guys kind of worked your way into Corey's, I kind of piecing this 
this whole thing together is a huge puzzle. Um, how did you and Aaron kind of connect? How'd you guys meet? Yeah. So first, let me say that Transit is the the most recent album I released, and it came out in 2019, last year, and with Aaron Whittier playing bass. And Aaron and I met um, actually playing with Pistol Pete. We both grew up in Rockford, Illinois, and um, he was going to Berkeley College of Music and came back for a summer and was playing with Pete. He had been playing with Pete for a couple of years, I think since he was like 16 years old. Aaron's an incredible bass player and a mm-hmm. composer and other things. Um, but that's how I met Aaron was playing with Pistol Pete. And so when I was playing with Corey, um, Nick Skilnick was the bass player and Nick had some other opportunities come up and I knew that the bass seat was going to need to be filled and Aaron was living in Boston at the time, and I gave him a call, and I said, look, man, there's this this opportunity is coming up to be to play full-time. If you want it, it's yours, uh, you know, if the guys like you and, and you audition well. And he came out and auditioned and, and got into the band after that. So I, it was a little bit self-serving on my part because, I, you know, I wanted to play with someone who – I knew really well and I knew I was going to have to be on the road with this guy and, and, you know, share hotel rooms with this guy. And then I wanted it to be someone who I was comfortable with and he was the perfect fit. Mm. Now, when you were, when, when you're playing this stuff like this, when you first started playing live, did you have the, was there an expectation you feel? Um, did, did you feel the expectation was, was lower or higher for, for you as a young, you know, you're young, you're playing live music, you're playing live jazz and blues in particular. Um, did you feel like there was any added pressure because of that? Like, what does this young kid know about, you know, the blues? What does this young kid know about the jazz? Did you feel the expectation was a lot lower because people may have formed the impression of, what does he know about this? And then you were able to do your thing much easier. Did you feel the exact opposite as it was higher? Um, that's a great question. You know, I think in any kind of professional situation where you're playing with a band leader who has played with a lot of other sidemen, um, mm-hmm. there's an expectation that you will play at a professional level. Uh, so, and, and I think too, you know, when, when people are hiring, um, players to be in their band, they're oftentimes measuring you against, the the best player that they've ever played with, you know, whether that's um, in any genre. And so I don't know that age is necessarily a factor. I mean, if you were super young, I guess some sort of prodigy and you could play like a, a wizened old musician that would raise some eyebrows. But uh, I think first and foremost, there's just an expectation that you're going to be able to play at a professional level. You're going to be able to do what it takes to get through the gig. And then, you know, um, so I guess I don't, I don't feel like it was lower or higher. Um, I think I certainly had a lot to learn when I started playing professionally, but I had the skills to make it through a gig. So I don't know if that answers your question sufficiently. Um, oh, yeah, I get it. But yeah, it's, it's, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah. You know, that, that I always love an- asking that one because it, it varies with everybody and, um, like it should, but, um, you know, I've heard from some people like, 
uh, obviously it was guitars I asked with like Kenny Wayne Shepherd, you know, when he, when he played, he thought it was super low because people formed the impression of what does this kid know about the blues? He obviously can't play it. There's no way in hell he's going to be able to do this. And then they blew him away. Um, but at the same time, you know, if when you start out playing in, in uh, you know, the clubs like we have here in Chicago, I think right away um, the bar is already set pretty high because of who graced that stage before, um, like at Kingston Mines or Buddy Guys Legends. I feel like, you know, getting up there is already you've already set the bar really high. So um, it. I, I don't know. I just love asking that question. Um, now, before Corey and, uh, you know, they came along, I I actually didn't even know this until I talked to Jimmy the other day. Um, you spent time with uh, Jimmy Nick. Now, how did you meet Jimmy? Because, I mean, you got Jimmy's in Crystal Lake. Um, I mean, did you guys meet at a young age or did you kind of cross paths um, later on in life and uh, then kind of uh, tagged along with him? You know, I met Jimmy through a bass player named Sean Carolyn, who plays in a band now called Munjin. Um, they're like a jam band. And Sean said that Jimmy had been looking for a drummer and uh, I was going to school at the time and we jammed one time. And then I don't remember how much longer, maybe six months later, something just an opportunity opened up where he needed a drummer and he called me and we did a couple of rehearsals and that resulted in me playing with him for several years and, and recording a few albums with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, 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 I didn't know that. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, now a question here, this came across my mind the other day, actually just in general to ask really anybody um, when thinking about the state of music today, um, I feel like, you, you have all these musics, all this music out here now that is, you know, uh, you know, winning awards left and right. But what is your thoughts on the idea of all these, not all these, but most of the music today having less and less instruments? I mean, like everything seems it's all computerized and there's not there's not many instruments involved anymore. Uh, Does that kind of as being a traditional guy like me who just, you know, I love instruments. Where do you think the music industry is going right now? I mean, all these people are doing this right from, you know, their bedroom, not not plucking a string, a single chord, not hitting a, a single drum head. Where do you where do you think the the current state of music is going? Do you like where it's headed or do you think that there is still some hope out there? Uh, well, I guess my first thought on that is that there will always be a place for real musicians playing real instruments. Now, that may not mean that those people are making millions of dollars, but um I think that there's always interest in that. You know, it's it's an amazing skill for anyone to pick up an instrument and be able to play it proficiently. And I think, you know, certainly in in the last hundred years, um, music has changed considerably. And in the last 30 years, music has changed considerably. But I think that there, like I said, there will always be a place for musicians who are, who can play. Um, and as far as the opportunities that are granted those musicians, uh, what I see that has changed in that is um, musicians are having to make their own opportunities. Mm. They're having to, if, if they're passionate about a certain kind of music, whatever kind of music that is to them and that they play, they have to make the opportunity 
to play happen. They have to make the gig happen. So, you know, I, when my dad was playing, he played professionally for a few years. A lot of gigs were booked through the union. There were tons of places to play. Uh, there was no MTV. So if people wanted to see music, they, they had to go out and see it or they could listen to it on a record. And now there's so many ways for people to hear music and music is such a part of our everyday lives in ways that we don't even think about. I mean, when you go to the grocery store, when you see a television show, when you see commercials during that television show, if it's on broadcast television, mm. you know, any place that you, you, you go, there's music playing. And I think that we take that for granted. We as like a society, as a culture, like how much music is uh, presented to us free of charge. And, you know, I think, I have I have thoughts about the Spotify thing and kind of the streaming revolution mm. that's happened. Um, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. I think for musicians, it's certainly a way to get your music out there, but not necessarily a way to get paid for that music. You know, you've got artists mm. who are, you know, selling, you know, um, they might they might have a million streams and only make a couple of thousand dollars. And that doesn't seem right. But that's the way it is right now. And I think what artists will do is figure out ways to either get around that and make money playing music or, or with their music, um, or they won't. And they just, you know, they'll find something else to do, which is unfortunate, but that's the reality of it. Yeah, sadly it is. Now, you mentioned the Spotify thing. That's actually kind of interesting. Um, I was thinking about that as well in the sense that, I mean, you, you you like to play live current. I mean, clearly, it seems like you you you're you're a guy who's played with bands. You just you just love playing live music. Now, that's how you guys get paid. Live music, I was earnings as well. Um, I mean, people love live music. Does it bother you? Um, I, I'm gonna kind of elaborate on the Spotify thing. That you know. There could be people downloading the music uh, for free without paying for it. Or are you more worried about having people come to the gig? Because after a long week uh, of work, um, for people to really take the time out, schedule their day to where they have time to accommodate their night for you. Um, yeah, they might be downloading their music for free illegally off YouTube or something like that. Does that bother you at all or does what matter most to you? having people come and see you live and talk to you after a gig? Yeah, I think, yeah, as a person who plays live, you know, for the past four or five years, I've played uh, about 300 gigs a year. And so that's, mm. that's how I've made my living. And I think playing live for artists at any level, whether you're, you know, you're a regional band or you're a superstar playing live is now the way that you make money. It's not recording music. And I've, I've heard people say that recording music now is almost like a, an expensive business card. You know, it's a, mm. a way to promote yourself, but I don't know that anybody's really getting rich recording music right now. Um, so yeah, for me, live shows are where it's at. And I, that's, that's where I have the most fun. Uh, as an artist, you know, in the moment presenting something for an audience, um, that interplay, that energy that feeds back and forth between 
a performer in the audience. There's just really nothing like that, man. When you're, when the band's cooking or, or you're, you're as a, you as a, an artist are really putting out a lot of energy and then the audience is giving that back to you. That's just an incredible feeling. I don't, I don't know if there's anything like that. I don't know if there's anything I can compare that to. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I feel you on that. Um, and for, for you, I mean, cause this is perfect. Now I can ask someone who's played both sides with jazz and blues. Um, where do you feel and what do you think the reason is as, uh, to why, uh, society, um, and organizations like the, uh, the recording academy for the Grammys, what do you think the reason is as to why they don't broadcast now, um, those awards and by those awards i mean the americana the rock the jazz the contemporary blues what do you think i mean personally it drives me crazy um and buddy guy will say the same thing when he won in 2019 for uh the blues is alive and well everyone got up and clapped for him and he literally spoke and said Y'all need to sit the hell down because you really don't care. You're doing this because you have to. And that was done down the street at the Microsoft Theater. That wasn't even at the Staples Center an hour before the awards. What do you, where do you think jazz and blues uh, falls um, in the eyes of, you know, the industry? Does, it, does that frustrate you at all? Oh, of course. And I mean, the, you know, I can tell you the reason why that blues and jazz aren't featured you know, on the, the major awards like the Grammys is because of ratings. You know, people, people don't know most of the artists in those categories, mm-hmm. you know, with the exception of someone like Buddy Guy, who's more of a household name, even with people who don't know a lot about the blues. Um, the, those shows are worried about ratings and that's, so they're going to put the artists who have sold the most, who get the most, who are the most visible. And that's what they care about. Um, and that's unfortunate because, you know, blues and jazz, uh, that's, that's American music. It's music that, that came together in this country, that formed in this country, these styles. And, uh, I think it's so important to let people know. I, I don't even know if a lot of people know the difference between jazz and blues and what, what, what each music sounds like. I mean, if you, if you were to look at the, the reviews, the Yelp reviews for Kingston Mines, or Buddy Guys Legends, which are, you know, blues clubs, the, a lot of people say that they went and saw a great jazz show. And, um, you know, so I, I think it's a matter of education. And I think that's something that artists will have to do if they want those genres to flourish, if they want to keep those genres alive is just some education, you know, and there's a lot of blue societies that do great things like blues in the schools where they'll bring an artist into a middle school or high school and they'll play for an assembly. And that's important. I think it's really important. Um, one of the things that I've been able to do uh, on the side kind of is to teach some American music courses at a community college. And I just, I love it because I get to tell people about blues artists who I love and jazz artists who I love and tell them the characteristics of those musics. And, and especially that this, this music blues and jazz, these are American art forms and it's so important and vital that they stay alive for those reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, like if anyone really put, put 
two minutes of thought into it, everything. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, everyone knows this, but every, everything came from both, both of those genres. Everything was a foundation for it. I mean, the, the structure of everything, it all feeds off of the blues and jazz, um, which is kind of funny. And people, people look down upon it. I mean, you have bands like the Rolling Stones. I mean, they named themselves after, I think it was a Muddy Waters tune. You have, yeah. uh, obviously Steve Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble. They were, blues rock well double treble that was uh i believe it was otis rush's uh an otis rush song um yeah they i think they named so it's like people i I don't know it's just frustrating i talked to Corey about that too the other day i just don't uh, don't understand why why they just don't well i i think you know one of the problems is is that people aren't exposed to it um as much right. as they used to be, maybe, you know, so like I said, I, one of the important things for artists in these genres, um, I think is education and just in, I don't know exactly, um, in what ways, but I, like I said, blues in the schools or, you know, um, taking your time to, to perform for, for people of especially young people and let them know what this music is so that they have a reference for it. You know, I think if, if younger people, uh, like elementary school kids were exposed to jazz and blues, um, those are formative years for kids when they listen to music and yeah, they'll always listen to pop music, what's on the radio, what's popular. But if they can hear these, these genres and be told how important they are and how much, uh, creative, expression is available in those genres i i feel like people would be interested in that but maybe that's just me i don't know no no i get it now you mentioned blues in the school too um the other night jerry said that um you know he he's done blues in the school a couple times and he's he's told me that probably some of the best audience uh that he's ever played in front of now have you've done have you um have you personally done a blues in the school um, aside from the teaching that you do? Have you gone to elementary schools and uh, played in and spoke to the younger kids about that stuff? And how was that um, received if you have? What I've done a few times is been a part of a band that played for large assemblies of, of young people, you know, mm-hmm. at a school or that were brought to an auditorium. Um, I did one a couple of months ago in, in Michigan. And yeah, the, the it was so cool to see. The reaction, especially if you can, if you can tell this music as a story, where it came from and, you know, how this, this music started, um, in America, you know, by people who were oppressed. And this music is an expression of, of creativity and freedom and how it, you know, how it moved through the United States from the South up the Mississippi to Chicago and became electrified. And, and if you can make it a narrative, I think, man, people, young kids really dig that. Like it's a story they can latch onto for, for blues specifically, but you know, jazz also has a great story of, you know, um, Congo square, New Orleans and, and that kind of thing. No, I know. It's, it's, it's great. Like, I don't, um, I, I don't know if it's, if it's simplicity of, uh, the, the structure of it, because I always see like, um, the, I don't know what it is. Kids, kids like that stuff. It's, it's kind of funny. Um, and it's, it's kind of humbling too, because I've seen, uh, there was this little kid that, um, I ran into after a, a show and, um, he, he heard the music outside. Obviously, he wasn't old enough to get in and 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 listen, 
But uh, he, his dad was trying to, to pry him out, and the kid didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay and stand outside and listen to the music, and I thought that was the coolest thing ever because you have this kid who clearly – I don't even think he was six years old, but there was something about the music that stuck to him, and I, I thought that was pretty fascinating. Uh, it's important to stick this stuff into uh, into the kids at such a young age um, so they can really learn about what true – craftsmanship and artistry is no discredit to what's out there now but i I feel like um it's a lot of work that goes overseen with with a lot of music now um but uh i mean you've when when you look at who you've played with and where you've come so far in your uh most certainly uh very young career um i mean from being able to share the stage with people like buddy guy uh carl weathersby who i know holds special uh place and obviously Corey, but the whole Corey dennison band's heart um jimmy johnson eddie shaw all these guys um the late great mike ledbetter um have, yeah. have you learned something um has there been a moment uh that you were like, wow, what was the awe moment for you um, over the years from all the people you played with? Was there one that sticks out and what was it? Um, there are a couple. Uh, the very first gig that I ever did with Corey Dennison was at Buddy Guys Legends. I think it was mm-hmm. in 2013. And I had never played with Corey before, you know, for, oh, like for wow. a whole show. So, and Jerry Hunt was on that gig and, um, there was a a ringer bass player. So, you know, it was, first of all, I was just like on edge on the edge of my seat because I wanted to play well. And I was looking for all the cues (laughs) that Corey throws and, and those kinds of things. So, so I was on edge and then buddy guy came up and, and sang with us, you know, as he's, as he does at his club. And so, yeah, that was a moment where I was just kind of like, whoa, like this is, this is not normal. Like I have to, I have to step it up here and, and not suck. So yeah, that was, that was one of those moments. And then, um, two years ago at the Chicago blues festival. Yeah. The, the, we, the Corey Dennison band played the main stage, um, at the Chicago blues festival for a, a celebration of Delmark records who we did two albums for. And mm-hmm. so just being on that stage at the Pritzker Pavilion, you know, playing in front of thousands of people, that was like a moment where I was just, you know, you have to, you have to play the show, but also try to appreciate in that moment, like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was another moment. It was just like, wow, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. And then actually, I mean, uh, you can't forget about, and I think it was end of, End of 2018, I think October, because like I told Corey the other day, first time I ever heard uh, you guys when you were with Corey, it was August 24th. It was right after the um, Trickster show with uh, at the Arcata Theater. I was walking out of the theater and I walked past the house pub and I don't know what it was. There was something about the sound and I've never been in the house pub before that moment. I said, you know what? I'm going to go in here. I'm going to check this band out. And I've been hooked ever since. But this, the crazy thing was that was about two months after that, um, we were supposed to have Billy Gibbons play at the Arcata Theater. It was supposed to be October 12th. And I was excited because, I mean, it's freaking Billy Gibbons. I love Texas blues. I love that. And we got outbid it at the last second by the House of Blues. So I'm like, well, 
I got to go see the, I got to see Billy Gibbons. I'm not going to miss this opportunity. And then in the morning I got an email, um, you know, say, Hey, the show's being moved. I'm like, Oh, whatever. So the house of blues date, I think it was the 17th October of 2018. They said, Hey, we got, you know, information about the show tonight. I go, Oh man, is it canceled? They said, no, Corey Dennison band's opening for Billy Gibbons at the House of Blue. What the hell was that like? I mean, that's got to be insane. I mean, that came together so quickly. What was that? What was that experience like for you? Uh, you know, it was it was super cool to be able to play for fans of Billy Gibbons and, and play the kind of music that Corey plays, which is this mix of, you know, Chicago blues and, and soul music. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the tough thing about those kinds of gigs where you're opening for a major artist is the major artist always has a ton of time to sound check and get their gear right and make sure everything's perfect on stage for them. And then the opening band gets kind of thrown up there and gets like a, you know, 10 or 15 minutes to make sure their, their equipment's not falling over. And then, you know, there's, there's a little break and then you play. And so I think, you know, as far as preparedness for something like that, that band, we were playing so much at that time and you know the those guys still do though so, so that the band was super tight the performance was great and you just try to try to enjoy it you know um when you're playing 300 shows a year or mm-hmm. i think at that at that year we were playing like i had played 250 gigs in the in the in the span of a year with that band and so you know there's you know what's going to happen. You know the songs. And so it's just a matter of enjoying the moment. And um, it was a cool show. And and uh, Matt Sorum was playing drums for Billy mm-hmm. Gibbons on that show. So he was cool to meet. And I've told a couple of people that Matt Sorum is like one of the most um, – he's a really nice guy and a really cool guy. And he's the most just kind of effortless rock star I've ever met where it's just he exudes cool. You know, he's just – He's played with so many people, Guns N' Roses and, you know, the cult and, and a bunch of people. So it he was it was fun to watch him play and it was cool to get to meet him. And of course, Billy Gibbons was amazing. Yeah, it was a great show. Um, and like you mentioned with with Storm, obviously Guns N' Roses. Has there been a drummer um, in in your lifetime that you've been able to make that have literally put you in? you know, kind of like a trance. Like if there was one drummer for me, it'd probably be Steve Jordan if I ever got to meet him because I absolutely love Steve Jordan. Has there been an, a has there been one singular drummer or someone that you have met or would like to meet or someone that's really served as kind of like the the guy at the pinnacle of the, of the mountain as far as inspiration goes? Yeah, uh, that guy for me is a drummer named Jeff Hamilton. Um, he is, he is, I think the best living big band drummer. Best uh, he, he plays wow. in a band called the Clayton Hamilton jazz orchestra, but he's played with just about every jazz artist you could ever think of. Um, and I've gotten to meet him several times. I've gotten to have a lesson with him and hang with him a little bit. And every time I hear Jeff play, it's just like the floor. It's just like I come off the floor, man. It's like I'm, it's like I'm elevated, you know, and he is a constant source of inspiration for me. I can just hear things that he does and the way that he serves the music as a drummer, but also gets to be featured. And it's, uh, it's incredible. Uh, so anytime I, I, I've done 
stupid things to get to see Jeff play. He was playing out in New York City, <laughs> and I I took a flight out this the day of the show. So you know, I I took a like a nine a.m. flight, and I got out there, and he was playing at um, Disney's Club Coca Cola at Jazz at Lincoln Center, and I watched the show, and I hung a little bit, and then I took the five a.m. flight out of New York to get back. What? Without sleeping. So just like, you know, stupid stuff like that just to see Jeff play because he wasn't going to be around Chicago for, you know, a year or something. Wow. That's insane. Holy cow. Now, wow. That, that's, that's wild. For you, now you've got this other group that you kind of been, um, you, you kind of put together, uh, not too long ago. Talk about a little bit more about your big band. Um, I, I still have yet to see you guys play. I, I keep pushing myself. I, I've made posters for, for your gigs at, at St. Charles, but I still have never worked my way out and it's frustrating. Talk a little bit about that. Um, and the, the parts of that group. I've, I, is it, um, a lot of your students who are part of that or kind of describe the, the, how that came to fruition? Sure. So, uh, like I, I said before, you know, one of my first, um, experiences with jazz music, was my dad playing me this album by the Buddy Rich Big Band right, uh, right, called right. called Swingin' New Big Band and mm. um it's such a it's such a cool sound and if your listeners aren't familiar with what a big band is it's five saxophones four trombones four trumpets and a, a rhythm section guitar bass drums piano so typically 15 to 17 people and it's um my my wife describes it as heavy metal jazz because it's so you know oh, it's, it's such a big sound you know it's just mm. when when you got that many people playing together it's incredible uh so i played in in big bands in school and um I, you know when i got out of school there just there weren't a lot of opportunities obviously you know uh playing with that many people nobody's making a lot of money mm. Uh, so if you, if you put a band like that together, it has to be for the love of, of doing that kind of music. And, uh, so my, my, uh, co-leader in that band, Chris Parsons, he's a guitar player. And I, we just started putting this band together and it's no, it's not students. It's, um, guys we went to school with pros. In the, with, that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. So they were, they were a lot of fellow students with us at the time who have now become professionals in, mm. in the scene. And we've also tapped, you know, uh, more experienced professional players to play with us from time to time as well. But, um, yeah, so I, I that is my passion project. I love playing this music. It is such a, a drummer's music, you know, in certain kinds of music, blues included, I have a role. You know, I'm I'm the backbone of the band. I provide a foundation so that other people can play over the top. You know, typically in a blues band, you've got the guitar soloing or the the harmonica or, you know, piano. But the drums and bass serve a function. But in big band music, I, I am that. But I am also a soloist. Um, I, I'm like the quarterback. When it comes to that music, I'm calling the plays, I'm calling the shots. And so there's something about that that I love. Um, so with that band, we actually just recorded two new albums. Oh, wow. Um, in January of this year, we went into electrical audio studio in Chicago and 
recorded two records. Uh, one is kind of a standard big band record. And I don't know if when I say big band, some people may think of like Glenn Miller in the mood or something like that, but it's not that kind of big band. It's a little more modern. Um, so a lot of the, the songs that we're playing were either written by people in the band or are arrangements of, uh, other jazz songs, um, for, for big band. Uh, so that was the, the first record we did. And the second one is a record of all arrangements from classic video games, like from 1985 to 2000. Oh, oh, that's awesome. So I'm excited. I'm so excited to work. Um, I'm going to be mixing those records in the next couple of weeks, which is mm. something I'm happy to do. Uh, I get to do in this downtime is, you know, I can send these tracks to a mixer and, and do that remotely. But the other thing that we did in addition to those two albums was I, I wanted to record a couple of blues tunes. I have this idea to record a big band blues album. And so to kind of start that process, I recorded a couple of blues tunes uh, with the big band. And, you know, that's not new as far as this music goes. The Count Basie Orchestra with Jimmy Rushing singing. Jimmy Rushing is one of my favorite blues singers of all time. And mm. that that's blues music, man. I mean, that early Count Basie stuff, uh, they're playing the blues. Um, so I wanted to update that and sort of bring that, that blues sound and, and mix it with some electric Chicago blues. So we recorded uh, a version of Cold, Cold Feeling, that Jimmy Johnson, my inspiration for that was Jimmy Johnson, but of oh, course, oh, Albert Collins awesome. also recorded that. And I was able to have Jimmy Johnson play guitar on that. So, what? um, yeah. So we, we went, we recorded the album and then, uh, on a separate session had Jimmy Johnson play some guitar on that. And I've got a couple ideas for singers. So I'm not going to say more about who's going to sing on that, oh, oh on that particular track. But then we also recorded a song, uh, that was an arrangement that was worked up in the Corey Dennison band and Corey's going to sing on that and play on that. So we actually had a date in mind and then all this crazy stuff happened. Mm -hmm. So that kind of got pushed down the road, but it's definitely going to get finished. So yeah. I'm really excited now, about all of that. That's awesome, man. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow. Now, do you feel, um, cause I know there's a lot of artists out there now um, I mean, there's a, uh, I know there's Anthony Gomes right now. He, uh, when all this stuff came down, he was like, oh man, I gotta push these things out that I really wanted to do records so I can bring in some kind of money. So he, he's coming out with an element like a week or two that he just put together called containment blues. Now these two projects that you've been working on with a big band, um, do you feel maybe as hey you know you might push these out a little sooner or one a little bit sooner that way you could kind of you know bring bank in on uh on on some of those um you know i don't think so um you know fortunately for for chris parsons and i my co-leader we sort of had a set budget set aside for this before we started so you know this project like us getting paid or us, you know, feeding our families isn't contingent upon this project happening sooner. So we'd rather take our time and make sure it's right. Make sure it sounds good. Um, so, you know, like I said, the mixing and mastering process is happening next week. And then, you know, there's the artwork and the production and, and trying to figure out if it's feasible to put any of this out on vinyl, like expense wise um, and those kinds of things. But, 
I'm so excited to get it out there. And, uh, yeah, I, I see people doing that. I think it's, you know, I have more power to them. You know, it, it was great. The thing that Bandcamp did where there was one day where they gave a hundred percent of, of their, the fees, yep. their fees to the artist. I think that that kind of thing is great for artists. And, um, yeah. So yeah, more power to Anthony Gomes for doing that. And that's great. I think, you know, this is definitely a time for people who enjoy, you know, an artist or a particular genre to step up and, and try to buy merch, buy a t-shirt, do whatever you can to support the artist that you love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's awesome. And based on what you've been saying about the big band and stuff, I'm going to take it as the assumption that, you know, obviously your heart was drawing you towards that. Was that the reason why you kind of departed Corey? I've never, I've never, I don't think I've ever asked you or I ever asked Corey, but was that a tough decision for you to do? Um, I mean, you're oh, not, you didn't really depart. You just kind of pushed all you really wanted to do this project. And what was what was that dialogue like? Was was he like, go do your thing, man. Just do what you got to do. Was that <laughs> tough for you? Yeah, it, it was tough for me. I mean, you know, when you're in a band with guys for for six years and, you know, you're mm-hmm. playing, we got to play all over the world. And we were playing a lot, man. We were playing, like I said, you know, 250 dates a year or more. Mm. So at that point, you know, you're, you're family. You really are. But right. um, when I was talking to Corey about this, you know, the, the, the idea came up that it's hard to do the things you want to do if you're doing somebody else's thing. You know, mm. it's hard to make time for your projects if you're working on somebody else's project full time. So, uh, yeah, man, that was, it was a really hard decision. I, I definitely agonized over that. And, um, you know, I'm on the other side, I'm glad I did it because I do have the time for my projects, but at the same time, you know, I love those guys and those guys will always be family. And so it's cool that for me that I can bring Corey into this project a little bit and, you know, get him to sing on a couple of things and, and, um, you know, it and things in that band ended on great terms. I'm still friends with all those guys. So mm-hmm. it was the right decision, but it was a hard decision. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, I, I get it. I'm sure. I just always wanted to know. Now, Joel, when you look back at, at where you've, you know, how far mm-hmm. you've come in life, would there be anything that you change along this way at all? Oh, man. Um I, you know, I've been so fortunate to, to be able to play music full time for a long time. Um, I don't know if there's anything I would change, man. I think I, I would say that I would want to play more, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's only so many gigs you can play in a year, you know? Right. And, uh, so I, I guess when I look back, I try to think about the, the positive things. I try to, you know, as a, as an artist, or a, a musician who has a tendency to feel like I, I'm not doing enough. I'm not producing enough new stuff. I'm not, um, you know, there can always be more. I keep a list of, of things that I have done so I can look back and say, Hey, you know, like you've done stuff, but I always have an eye on the future, man. And there's so many people I want to play with. There's so many projects I want to get done. And, um, and and so times like this where, you know, things are kind of stalled and you can't play, make right, it right. a little bit tough. But 
that being said, I'm just, yeah, I, I try to try to keep one eye on the past and with, with uh, gratitude and keep one eye on the future, you know, looking forward and, and pushing hard. Oh, yeah, I totally get it. Well, I can tell you this. I, I appreciate everything you've done for me when uh, as, as you know, w- with your music and stuff. I mean, you guys, you, you really took me underneath your wing, per se. You guys uh, treated me well. You've uh, always talked to me, always, always supported me. You guys made me feel like family. So I appreciate you very much for 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 that and um i wish you all the best with all your music i'm really excited about these two projects you're doing right now with the big band and uh i really really appreciate everything you do for music uh jazz blues and uh both both genres um it, it means the world to me to have someone play genres but to have someone as de- dedicated into doing everything in their power to keep the genre alive because I know that's my mission in life and I I mean I'll never stop supporting the blues and jazz I mean until like roll over in a grave it's it's my it's my goal in life it makes me happy and um I, th- I think it's important so I, I thank you very very much for doing this and uh thank you very much for doing what you do um I I appreciate it man well, thank you, man. I appreciate you. And thank you for the, the time to, to do this interview and, and, uh, for great questions. And thank you for what you're doing to keep the, the music alive. That's important. It's very important. Very important. Thank you so much, Joel. I appreciate it. Thank you, Christian. Well, 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 that was my interview with a good friend, Joel Bear of the Corey Dennison Band, the Joel Bear Blue Shift Big Band, and many, many more. Thank you so much for tuning in. Like I said at the start of the show, be sure to subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, follow us on Spotify and iHeartRadio. And get this, you can listen to the show wherever you listen to your podcast. You can listen to mine, the MondayMorningBlues.com. Hey, also, my website, nice, easy, simple, uh, thing to remember. It's just as easy as it gets. It's just com. Can't mess that one up. Um, be sure to subscribe to our email list. Uh, the link is on there. You scroll all the way to the bottom and you just put your email in there. I won't blast you. I promise that. Uh, but every Monday I will blast you with Blues News. Uh, you'll find out all of our updates of guests uh, coming up, all bios and blurbs and all of our uh, past and future guests. Um, and this new thing, like I said at the start of the show, and like I'll always say, the Blues Review. I'll put up uh, top five picks of the week that I've been listening to that I like in hopes of passing, uh, you know, the interest in music off to you. I'd like to call it a get a suggestion, give a suggestion. You like it, you share it, spread the news, spread the blues. Not just blues, though. We are a platform dedicated to all things roots, rock, blues, jazz, Americana, all that good stuff. The stuff that doesn't get the attention uh, that they should be getting. Because if you think about it, the blues was the foundation and structure for everything that followed suit so you got to keep the spirit alive and well anyways thank you so much for tuning in we'll see you next week stay safe and god bless